Hello, everybody. Welcome to the DMN One-on-One Podcast. I'm Chris Wood, Associate Editor of DMN, here today with Bob Glazer, CEO and Founder of Acceleration Partners. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you were just getting me acquainted a little bit here as we were warming up, uh, talking about the, this really new era of performance-driven partnerships. I wonder if you could just give us a little context how we got to this. Sure. I, I think... You know, affiliate marketing has been around forever. The concept of, of paying for performance has been around for a long time. Um, the first wave of affiliate marketing was a lot of uh, discount and coupon-oriented uh, publishers and, and more sort of pure play uh, online retailers. As brands have come into the space, there's really been a push for, hey, we love this model, but we'd like to work with different partners They've also seen the technology that an affiliate program has in terms of the ability to track, measure, pay, aggregate partners, and more and more people are bringing that technology and, and sort of merging that with business and partner development into what we kind of term a performance partnership program, which is let's get as many people as we can on a scalable platform that tracks, measures, pays, and lets us you know build a channel out of that. I mean, big brands like Adidas, you mentioned, and, you know, with affiliate marketing, I, uh, I do associate a large network of smaller publishers, bloggers. Could you get into kind of what makes up this affiliation? Who are the different players in this space? Sure. Um, actually, at its simplest form, it's like there's people who sell things <laughs> and then people who don't sell the things but have all the audience online. And that is really, you know, affiliate marketing is almost in some ways not a channel. It's a methodology to bring together the people selling things and the people who have these large audiences online. So publishers range literally from anything, from the mom blogger uh, in their basement, you know, or in their home that's making a nice living off this, to you know, some of the historical comparison shopping sites, coupon sites, loyalty, and now it's really emerging into large media publishing companies. There are lots of public companies that are that are publishers. It's just basically people who have the audience and they need to monetize that audience and it is just a big dating game of connecting them with the people who are selling things. So you see like a legacy mass media publisher who's uh, done it their way for so long and obviously just the the landscape has changed uh, with digital in the media. Um, So when they're looking to affiliate partnerships what brings them there? What what's what's their yeah, change of plans? Some of them are coming willing, and some of them not. Right? There's some new brands that have been performance oriented from the start, like Wirecutter and BuzzFeed and Business Insider, that have said, "Look, we believe that if we merchandise things, we can do better on a performance basis and sort of control this." You then have other large media properties that have all these digital properties that were, you know, driven by uh, programmatic you know, banner ads, those rates have plummeted 70 to 80% in the last couple of years with all the fraud and other things. So they're looking at, you know, the, the, the banner ad kind of world really plummeting. And they're also seeing that the budgets are all in these direct to consumer brands, but they don't want to pay for clicks or impressions. They want to play for sales. So it's sort of the perfect clue. Uh, confluence of where those mass media publishing look we need to we need to get into these performance budgets and we need to replace this uh, this programmatic inventory that we've lost so they're coming in saying hey we would like to be more of an active publisher and we have a sports magazine over here maybe we should connect to sports brands and maybe we could push concert tickets and build more sort of native advertising that where they're paid on a performance basis 
Um, and when you mentioned like sports, like so many uh, different athletes and like influencers in that realm in the sports world. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, does that connect at all? Are publishers kind of like stepping up and uh, how, how are they monetizing yeah. by being uh, bringing more value to their advertisers? I, I think the best publishers get a ton of traffic because they are good at whatever they do from a content standpoint. So let's just say like, uh, you know, New York, pick like a, well, the teams are not very good uh, these days. So let's go with the Knicks, this global brand. So some guy out there probably has the top Knicks, you know, blog or website or something that ranks for all this stuff, has all this content, and is getting like hundreds of thousands of global Knicks fans on his, you know, website every day. Well, then it wouldn't be a far fetch to think that he could link to, you know, Nike and sell shoes from the players or connect to a stub hub and sell tickets or work with fanatics to sell memorabilia. I, what we actually found is the best people that monetize have the niche and then merchandise against the niche. They don't go try to find it. You know, they don't work. A lot of publishers will come to us or say, people are starting the industry, like, what kind of publisher should I be to make a lot of money? And I'm like, it kind of doesn't work that way. Usually, usually you become a really good authority on something, and then you can think about monetizing. And that's where the authenticity comes in for readers. Correct. Then. I, but then do you see the New York Post reaching out to this top Knicks blogger to extend their reach? Yeah, I mean, if they're looking for, uh, well, they'd be probably more competing on the content side. If they were looking for subscriptions and saying, hey, you know, well, you know, if you sign people up and, you know, promote the sports page, we pay $5 per subscription. You know, the pure places I mentioned before, BuzzFeed, Wirecutter, but they're going, you know, fully open about their performance model, but they put a lot of pressure on themselves, you know, saying, hey, we write a review, we stand by this and all this stuff. So I... Consumers have shown that if people are authentic, they don't. They expect these sites to make money. I think that why affiliate marketing isn't talked about enough is because I think that people want to pretend that all these websites that you know spend all this time on all this stuff do it out of the goodness of their heart, and you know they're they're looking to make money and have a living like anyone else. You know, someone who pours their heart into some blog on a parenting thing and does it full time like needs the way to make a a career off that. But it does sort out. I think over the long term, maybe not the short term, the people that are authentic or the people who are sort of like influencers who sell their opinion to the highest check writer. Mm. Retailers are, are in e-commerce are using affiliate marketers more. Why are they going that route? I, I think there's so much competition. So everyone piles into a channel. Most advertising these days, digital advertising is auction-based, right? So you, you pile in AdWords, the rate goes up. You pile in a Snapchat, the rate goes up. You pile in the Facebook, the rate goes up. So, so the more everyone does what everyone else is doing, the less profitable it becomes for everyone. What's great about the affiliate channel, it's always been you, de you define your return on ad spend up front. You say, it's worth 8% of a sale to me, and then you go out and reach out to people who are willing to deliver under that 8%. So I think we have more and more companies that are looking for a clear return on their ad spend, um, not chasing the latest thing. And, and this is a little different where you define the outcome first, and then you try to work backwards and get people who can uh, deliver on an outcome. So I think everyone is interested in paying more for performance, not for, you know, getting into whatever the hottest thing is and then finding out that it works until it doesn't work. 
I've seen some of like the case studies where it's like, you know, upfront, like the vendor wants to increase the percentage or the brand wants to increase the percentage of their affiliate marketing. Yes. It's almost like they want to increase the percentage of like their surefire revenue. Yeah, look, in, in, in theory, everyone should want their affiliate program to be as big as uh, it can be because the efficiency frontier doesn't change, right? If you go from spending to $1 million to $10 million on search or Facebook, you are going to have less yield, right? You are going to be out of the niche into the bigger thing. If I pay 8% on the first million, 8% on the second million, 8% on the 10th million, it's still 8%. So that the challenge is actually to build scale with an affiliate program under that structure. The challenge with other channels is to move from spending a ton of money. Like someone was just telling us this brand has come out of the gate, spent $300,000 in their first month on Facebook. Now they are going to be like in a rush to get their return on ad spend down. Um, it, the affiliate is different, right? You know the return on ad spend. It's just can you get your volume up? It's the opposite problem of most of digital marketing. Just to continue our conversation about um, retailers and, uh, you know, couponing is a big part of retailing and also traditionally in affiliate marketing. Yeah. Um, so where where do we stand today in terms of where the value is in couponing? Are big brands doing that? It's complicated, right? Because every brand says, oh, I want to do stuff beyond coupon partners. And then they flood the market with coupons. So they say, you know, we don't want coupon partners, but they're promoting a sale every five minutes. So. We try to get really specific with companies around what is your business threat. If you don't have coupons and you don't do any couponing, then you probably don't want to work with coupon partners. But if that's a big part of your strategy, then you probably want to work with these guys in a, in a smart way. One of the things we really try to lead on and we work with our technology partners is making the technology work with the business model. So paying for coupons that are valid, you know, paying for non-expired coupons, making sure people are promoting offers that are real. So if a publisher is promoting an expired offer and not a real offer, five or 10 years ago, they would have always been paid on that because if you clicked on it and bought, we, we've actually now been able to work with technology partners and say, oh, if you're promoting something that's not real or invalid or expired, we can actually validate that and you won't get paid your commission. So please work with us on, on the things that we we want to promote. Um, another phrase that we tend to say is like, it's really how, not if you work with partners these days. Because if I said to a lot of people, are you excited about having this coupon listed on partner A's page? And they're like, yeah, not that much. It just sits up there and people find it. Well, what if partner A has 20 million people in their database and they do a push notification, you know, with a deal on mobile and drive everyone to buy from your app? Well, you know, then they're interested. So this is why I think people, they paint with broad strokes a lot in the space, but we try to discuss very specifically around their brand, their goals, what they do, and design a coupon strategy that works with their business. And do you find, I mean, you said you're not a tech company, but yeah. you work with a lot of tech partners, so how do you match the right uh, brands with the right tech? Yeah, so we, we have uh, you know a handful of partners. Some have different strengths in different verticals, some have different strengths in different regions and geographies. We try to present multiple technology options, and, and, and the nice thing is we're independent. So when someone says, them, oh, they told us we're great at that, we can say, well, no, no, they're not. Um, so we always present some different options to our clients that, that meet their criteria. But if you told me, hey, I'm starting a, I'm a $5 million you know, pure play retailer in the U.S. who plans to be in the U.S. for a while, you know, what should I look at? I might say, well, well, A, B, and C could be good options. If you said, I'm a multinational global retailer who's launching an affiliate program in 
the UK and Europe, and if it goes well, I'd like to launch one in, in Asia next year, it would probably be a different set of, of recommendations. And so you work with a lot of different global companies? Yeah, we work was, with all, yeah. the, all the major partners in the space. The other big difference these days is whether you want um, like a traditional network or you want to license that technology and develop your own sort of private white label program. That's another key dividing point on what type of program you want. Very interesting. And have you seen any uh, changes kind of how affiliate marketing is adapting to user behavior uh, in terms of where people are engaging with the content um, on their screen, uh, geo-targeting, the way that retailers are really trying to get granular with uh, the customer experience, where, where the customers are on their buying journey? Yeah, so I think what, this is what's cool about the affiliate space. There are always new publishers doing new stuff, and they're usually pretty innovative in whatever the modality is. So if it's uh, chatbots or mobile or mobile apps. So the way that you stay current is to just keep bringing these new types of publishers into your program. And, and I think if you're looking around each day, you find a new publisher who's got a business model that says, oh, we're doing... You know, we're doing billboard to chatbot, you know, uh, ads, and we can follow people who look at a sign, text a thing, then it's on our phone and direct them to the program. Well, if they've built all of that, you know, infrastructure to get to the customer at that point, then I would love to work with them and, and get that customer. So the way to sort of always make sure your program's innovative is just to get these publishers who are innovating in all of these media types into your program and working with you. Such a great point, just to see what publishers are doing that works and to try to get them involved. Um, yeah, in the UN, it's different. In the US, with a venture back market, you know, you got a lot of money going into these publishers. In the UK, you don't have that as much innovation because there's not as much of a robust venture market, but a lot of the up and coming publishers in the US are all venture backed companies who raise money and are doing cool things. They, rather than like convince the retailers that they should do something, they just go do it and then sell the. <laughs> audience to the retailers. Sure, yeah. And everybody's watching, basically. Right. Well, uh, it's great to uh, catch up with you, Bob. Um, thanks so much for finding some time uh, while you're in New York. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. And uh, again, this is the DMN one-on-one podcast. Thanks a lot for listening.